Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. What is up? Welcome to part two of Talking Pitching with Tyler Wells. Um, as you can probably tell, this is a this is a lengthy one, which is fantastic because Tyler and I cover a lot of different things. We talk about the mental approach to the game. We talk about how you know he compartmentalizes his personal life and his baseball life. We talk about analytics. We talk about you know lessons that he has learned from a recent performance, which he wasn't super happy with, which is amazing. He's super vulnerable and super you know uh, open, and that's fantastic. Um, so I really hope you all enjoy it. So without any further ado, let's jump on into talking pitching with Tyler Wells part two. All right. So we're back. We rarely get the opportunity to do this, but when given the opportunity, we might as well take it. We are back with Tyler Wells for part two of his interview. Tyler, man, thanks so much for taking the time again to sit down with me and talk some baseball. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I, uh, I can't complain and I appreciate you having me back on. I know that it's, uh, is one of those uh, situations where I enjoyed it the first time, so um, might as well uh, enjoy the second time. And then you'll probably see here in the corner, I got my dog who wants to wants me to go throw things and play <laughs> some more. So. <laughs> Yeah, so luckily, I, I'll, I'll let you off the hook. We're not going to share any of the video, which is great, because I'm not wearing pants. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, got, I got pants. Um, but yes, there is a very cute dog in frame. You might hear Tyler's dog during uh, the podcast, which means you also might hear my dog during the podcast. Let's let's start, though, with I know you got a, a nice cup of coffee. Can you share what, 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 what we're rocking today? Because people, we talked about this in the first cast. You're a coffee guy. What are you rocking today? Um, so we were just in Tampa and I got these coffee beans from a, uh, local coffee spot called shortwave coffee. Um, they got like their own, I think that they're their own coffee roaster. Um, they got like a little coffee roaster on the inside and, um, like a bunch of bags of different beans and stuff could be strictly for decor. I don't know, mm. but, uh, this one is a Guatemalan I don't remember the plantation because usually what they'll do is they'll put like the country of origin and then they'll put like the region or like the farm that it's from. Mm. Uh, so I got, I got this Guatemalan from them and then I got a, uh, I got a Ethiopian Jigesa. From oh them. yeah. And that one, yeah. that one was really, really good. So I made the Ethiopian for me and my fiance this morning. And then uh, my little pick me up for right now is the Guatemalan. I'm going to I'm going to hit you up after this because there is a roaster around the corner from me in L.A. that has this a, a, a few Ethiopian blends that I think you would really be into. But I'm glad you proved your worth there because I'm almost embarrassed to pick up my Starbucks because that's a little <laughs> bit of a joke after that. Um, you you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast uh, about something that always fascinates me. And it's something that I want to always provide additional insight to our listeners about. And that's the mental aspect of the game. Right. And uh, I, I, I want to kind of throw you this prompt a little bit like how do you balance the the stresses of everyday life? I mean, you mentioned you have a fiance, which likely means that you're getting married coming up soon. You also have a personal life because you're a human being. 
how do you work that balance between what's going on in the personal life and the responsibilities that you have as a, as a ball player? So, um, you know, for me, I think that a lot of it just has to do with being able to kind of compartmentalize like in your mind on like what you need to do. I know that, um, for me, uh, faith in like, you know, just kind of the time that I have with God and kind of being able to focus a lot on that allows me to really kind of hone in on what I want to do, um, in my everyday life, you know, as far as being a good person, what I need to do at home to be the best, uh, fiance, or as we can talk about dog dad. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, for me, I think that, my number one priority is always making sure that my family, you know, my dog, my fiance are taken care of. Um, and then, you know, after that, you know, you kind of just, you kind of just go about it, you know, in like a normal life way. Like my life is here in the mornings with the exception of today, cause we have an off day, but most mornings, like I'll sit here and I'll have coffee with, uh, with her. She'll usually make us breakfast. Um, and then, you know, we sit there, we talk, we have a good conversation. Um, you know, I'll play with my dog a little bit, maybe take him to the park if we have some time and just kind of wear him out and, you know, just kind of do my duties around here. I think that, um, I don't personally like being like, I don't like a lot of like just downtime. Like I always like to be doing something. And if I am like, if I have downtime, usually like, I'm on my phone looking up something or talking about something or like um, researching something that I like to do in my off time, whether that's coffee, whether that's uh, barbecue steaks. Um, you know, I, I have like a small bourbon collection because mm -hmm. my fiance's dad is big into bourbon. So we, you know, I like to learn a lot about it and I'm very process oriented in that. So you know, being able to just kind of do things outside of baseball that mm -hmm. kind of just allow me to pass time and kind of um, just relieve stress at the same time. You know, it's the same thing with baseball. Like baseball is hands down my biggest stressor, but baseball is also hands down my biggest stress relief. Mm -hmm. Like that's mm -hmm. like going out there and pitching, um, you know, it calms me a little bit. But then it's like as soon as you get into a stressful situation and we can use yesterday as an example, like, you know, those situations are very, very stressful and you got to kind of lock yourself into that. So, um, you know, for me, it's just this is life like yeah. I've I've gone through a lot in my in my lifetime with like my mom uh, passing away whenever I was young and bouncing mm -hmm. around from place to place. Uh, seeing the kids with you know cancer and kind of visiting them in uh, hospitals my little brother um the middle one has a like a nerve disorder super rare nerve disorder so like seeing that seeing him go through chemotherapy and stuff like that so to me like doing normal life really isn't stressful like do i test my patients a lot and, like get frustrated and annoyed yes um i think if anything the most uh stressful part or difficult part is feeling like I can't make a lot of time for a lot of the people or like, you know, um, texting people back. Like, I think yeah. I got like over a hundred text messages that I haven't responded to, um, just because it's like, it gets overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. But other than that, like, you know, to me, I don't, I don't find it super stressful because it's like, 
this is my life. Like, this is just what I do on a daily basis. And eventually you find ways to kind of deal with that. So that's, you know, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about your, your mother That's and, and your brother and going through that. I'm sure, you know, thank you for being vulnerable about that. I think it's you know good for people to hear that because it just kind of harks on what we were talking about a little bit earlier before we hopped on, which is just you're a human being. You have a life. There are things going on for you. If, if we shift, uh, you know, you talked about kind of being able to compartmentalize a little bit, baseball being the stressor and also the kind of stress release. When you're in those games, um, you know, you mentioned this a little bit in the first podcast. You, you, you said you're really not kind of trying to overthink a lot. Um, when you're on the mound, you know, is, is it kind of the same way? Are you able, do you find that you're able to just take it pitch by pitch, take it batter by batter? Do you find your mind wandering a little bit into the future? Okay, what am I going to do for this next guy? Or are you doing your best to, to kind of live in the moment? And then also the last caveat was there a mindset change, you know, now that you have this pitch clock, right? It's such a mental game. And now you've got less time to theoretically think. Did that impact the kind of mental approach to the game for you at all? So um, I guess the best way for me to put it is like with, with the game of baseball and like the mentality that I tend to have, like for me, I think the number one thing that uh, us – you know, big league baseball players, minor league baseball players, uh, but specifically at the big league level and the highest competition that you can get. Anxiety is something that a lot of us tend to deal with, performance anxiety, uh, specifically starting pitchers. I know a lot of starting pitchers who have this anxiety on um, on game day, uh, specifically that's like, it, it becomes very difficult for some of us to deal with. Yeah. And, um, you know, finding ways to kind of get like through that without actually um, allowing it to kind of overtake you. And I think that this kind of goes back to the previous question where we talk about how do we deal with like everyday stressors of life and baseball um, put together. And I think they kind of go hand in hand because for me, the way that I deal with anxiety and stress is dealing with the things outside of baseball that doesn't make me think about baseball mm -hmm. because like now it's like okay like i wake up in the morning i have my coffee i make my coffee i can do my research i can go somewhere i can go to get barbecue i can go you know walk around some shops like doing what most people would deem like you know errands and stuff like that i'm just like i'm distracting myself from sure. what i need to like solely do there um, but as far as like my mentality in the game, you know, my mentality in the game is to stay calm and execute. You know, okay. it's like, uh, I try to, I try to look at every game that I start as war. You mm -hmm. know, it's like you are, you are going up, it's you versus yourself a lot of the time. And it's you versus the other team. Like these people are trying to beat you and you're trying to win. Yep. And you're not trying to get them to be you. And I think that you sit there and you look a lot of the time at like um, Navy SEALs, Delta Force, like um, Army Rangers. Like I've I've read certain books and there's one book that I read in Loe that actually helped a lot with this. And it was called The Ranger Way by uh, Chris Peranto. And for those who don't know who that is, if you've ever seen the movie 13 Hours uh, yep. in Benghazi, he is one of those. He is Tonto. So he wrote this book and talked about the struggles of like just even staying away. They used to put chewing tobacco in the corner of their eyes here just to keep their, just to stay awake. 
they would cause pain in order to stay awake. And, you know, but they would sit there and they would be like, whenever we need to like stay alert, whenever we need to like execute something, the biggest thing that we can possibly do is stay calm under pressure. Hmm. And, um, that's what their training is like that's why they say being a navy seal is so incredibly hard being an army ranger is so incredibly hard because their training is so crazy to help them perform under stress or stay calm under stress that like there aren't a lot of people that can do it for obvious reasons so for me i i try to kind of apply the concept i don't i don't obviously i don't put myself through anything like what they do, but I try to put that concept into work with, okay, like, you know, I walked a guy to start the inning or whatever. Like, that's not what I want to do, but it's the situation we currently have. So now it's like, it's, you got to adapt. You got to figure out a way, okay, how am I going to get out of this? And, um, you know, the pitch clock has actually been a benefit for me. And then, uh, I don't really find too many negatives on it um, with the exception of like one or two things. But for me, it's actually helped kind of increase my tempo a little bit and allow me to kind of be more direct on what I'm thinking. Like, okay, like I have this situation. I know exactly what I need to do here. And it makes me more deliberate in my thought process. So like I said, if I walk the guy to start the inning, like I know, okay, I do not need to go for a strikeout here. I need to go for a ground ball double play. Gotcha. Like I need to do exactly that. But if you say that you got to, you know, say that it's a little bit of a different scenario and you get a guy who hits a, you know, say you have one out and the guy hits a double or something like that. Like, okay, now I can think about, okay, do I need to strike someone out? Or do I not need to strike someone out? Because mm -hmm. then if I do, I have two outs. But if the guy hits fly out or a pop out, like, and that guy goes to third, you still have two outs. And all you need to do is either get a ground ball or a pop up or a strikeout. Mm -hmm. So then you're left with three different things. So it's like you kind of allow yourself to be more deliberate in, like, what your decision making is, especially with the uh, pitch clock. So, uh, you know, listening to kind of what you're saying, both about this and what you said about earlier on, it seems that like you have this kind of this real growth mindset that kind of permeates over your personal life and over your baseball life. Right. Because like you said, you don't like to be inactive. You're learning. Right. You're learning about coffee. You're learning about barbecue. You're learning about bourbon. Um, and then even here, you're, you're not letting kind of the past you're letting the past kind of dictate what you're doing in a way, so, you know, you're talking about, all right, I walked a guy now I got to focus on this, but you're not getting anxious necessarily about it. You're not beating yourself up about it. You're just focusing on, okay, what's the next step? What's the next step? These are the set of current circumstances that I'm dealing with. And what's the next step? Is that, is that kind of an accurate portrayal? Yeah, because I mean, you know, one of the things that I was always told, um, especially whenever I came up and got here in 21, was just the um, short memory of yeah. everything. Yeah. You know, it's like, do, do I let this affect me that is going to last a full inning or do I sit there and like, okay, I got to deal with it now. Like for me, it's like I sit there and I like, I laugh about some things like, you know, I think, uh, the other day, whenever I was facing the Blue Jays, I think Vlad Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit a what was like 117 single 
And I told him, like, after the inning, I'm like, hey, you need to, like, cool it. Like, <laughs> get it a little softer next time. Like, and, and you do things like that that kind of help you, like, understand, like, okay, what he did wasn't a big deal, and it ultimately didn't affect the inning yeah. or the score, which is a good thing. Um, you know, and I, I try to do the same thing with, like, um, with, like, solo home runs if i give it obviously you know that's one of the things i've struggled with this year so for me like if i'm looking at okay like if i give up a solar homer like this most of the time is not going to change the game in a significant way yep but if like if i have like a multi-run homer then you sit there and you're like okay well this is where it becomes a problem and you need to like dial it into what your plan is and that kind of goes back to what we we're talking about how you got to be able to play through the scenario and kind of work your way around it. And that's in that growth mindset is what exactly what you're talking about. And like the adapter die type of situation. Yeah. It's almost, you know, it's so easy to let the negative take over in life and in the sport. It's so easy because it's such a strong sensation, the beating yourself up, the negative. I can't believe I did that, but I always try to, it's, it's much harder to have that optimistic mindset. Right. And, you know, I always think about it when, when people give up solo shots in, in, in zero, zero games, my mindset is always sucks, but listen, we have to score at least one. Right. <laughs> so now it's just a tie yeah. game when we have to score at least one to, to win a game. So now it's just a tie game as opposed to, uh, you know, going up one nothing. So no matter what, you always got to score at least one. Let, let's shift over to some of the more pure, you know, baseball stuff that we were talking about, although, man, I could have these conversations forever. But you talked a little bit last time and just kind of blew my mind about this cutter that you like, you know, like there was like a cutter slider shape that you had last year, but then you kind of found this cutter at the end of spring training this year. And you're like, all right, here we go. You've jumped up the usage a little bit recently. Um, but what I'm interested in hearing about is, uh, you know, David Cohn, who's a, a brilliant baseball mind and is a fantastic broadcaster talks about when establishing a cutter, Sometimes you're robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit. Sometimes your your four seam shape can shift a little bit, or it's difficult to maintain the success that you've had with a four seamer because of the cutter grip that you're establishing. Obviously, there are exceptions to every rule. Have you found in your personal experience in establishing your cutter that you have had to, you know, really compartmentalize what you're doing with your four seamer? Has that been a difficult balance to strike between those two pitches? Um, I don't think that it's necessarily been a too much of a struggle. Um, I think whenever I try to throw my, whenever I try to throw my cutter and try and throw my forcing, I'd usually try and throw them around the same. The grip is just slightly different. Um, but you know, I would say that there is a possibility that I do get around my cutter more than what I get around my fastball. And with that being said, there are times that I've noticed this year where I tend to cut my fastball a little bit more mm -hmm. than what I usually would in um, like in the past. But at the same time, too, my average like fastball shape, I think, is actually pretty similar to what it has been in years past yeah. uh, on a consistent basis. Now, do I have that every once in a while? Do I get around the fastball a little bit more than what I want to? Sure. But at the same time, too, I think if you're looking at it on average, I don't think I've had a problem with it. Yeah, you have it. It's definitely like I know last year for the Yankees, there was like a big increase in cutter usage and you could see that there was some relationship between that and the four seamer. But yeah, that's kind of why I was interested in asking you because I haven't really noticed that much of a difference, which is pretty, pretty remarkable overall. This always cracks me up too. you know, 
I am a baseball analyst and sometimes I can get a little too in the numbers and I love talking to pitchers because they keep me honest. I was like, hey, yesterday you threw a career high amount of sliders and you're like, oh, all right, <laughs> I did. Okay, that's pretty cool. So is that like, was that just a, a game approach? Were you feeling the pitch on that particular day more so than others? Did you want to lean on it more because of how you felt in pens or it was just like, okay, th- this th- this team calls for more sliders, so I'm throwing more sliders. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow, and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today? Um, I think that, you know, it was probably like, I think it's probably kind of a mix of everything, to be honest with you, because I think that the game also dictates a lot of what your plan is. I think I've said this before, um, and I don't know if it was to you or not, but the game changes so fast. Yeah. And you kind of just notice, okay, what is working, what isn't, like, and, um you know, for me, like, I didn't even really think anything of it, but I felt like I, my slider was pretty, pretty, it was pretty good, but I was pulling some of them, especially early in the game. So, you know, with that being said, like, I don't ever really think about it because there are times where I've like, I've thrown career high and like changeups or something. And like, I, I had no idea because like, I don't, I don't think, okay, like I'm kind of one of those people where it's like, okay, I have a deliberate plan on what I'm trying to do. But at the same time, too, you know, you read the swing, Adley or McCann are back there reading like swings. They're kind of reading the situation themselves, too. So um, it's a constant like uh, adjustment for all of us to kind of sit there and, you know, be like, oh, well, this pitch is, you know, really, really good today. So we're going to probably lean on this more or this pitch is uh, getting a lot of swings and misses or, you know, this is uh, – like you're able to spot up this pitch a little bit better than what you are with others that uh, might be useful in the situation. So we might have to lean on this a little bit more. Um, I think that there's, you know, such a wide variety of reasons for it. And I think the game is usually kind of what dicks dictates it more mm. than, um, than anything else. How is that? You know, I mean, it's funny because Adley obviously has, you know, a lot of pedigree and people are very fond of him in Baltimore. And, you know, he's also just seems like a genuinely good human being from the uh, from the videos that we've seen of him and seems like a funny, affable guy. But how is that relationship with him? Are you guys just kind of talking in between innings, like you said, where he's noticing things with swings and you're noticing things with swings and you're kind of just trying to attack things? Or, you know, are you just kind of in between innings, just kind of in your zone and, you know, give me a moment and I'll talk to you after the game um so sometimes it, it really just kind of depends like if we're cruising and whatnot um you know we usually like we're like hey great job like or if he calls a particular pitch that i wasn't thinking of or something and you know he 
and it turns into an out or a strikeout or something like that. Like I usually was like, Hey, great job on that. Well, like, you know, and, uh, but then like, we also talk about execution of pitches. So a lot of the time, like if I'll, I'll talk to McCann or Adley about like, Hey, where did you have this pitch? Like, was it a little bit off or like, oh. you know, uh, it was like, I'll use yesterday with, uh, because it's fresh, like the Arena home run, mm -hmm. like, to me, I, we wanted to go up. And so I, you know, in pl certain places are really difficult to actually, like every backdrop is different. So it's difficult to kind of pinpoint exactly where you're throwing it at all the time, especially when everything is moving really fast. And so I asked Adley, I was like, was that up? Because, you know, we wanted to go up and he goes, eh. And so then you sit there and you're like, okay, well now I have to adjust my eyes height to kind of what's going on over there. Huh. And you understand and you kind of get like these, you kind of get these understandings of like, I have to adjust my eyesight based on what he's seeing. And then you have to talk about, okay, am I executing that pitch? Like I'm going to sit there and be like, I think there was, you know, a couple pitches or one pitch yesterday that we were like, oh, we both thought it was a strike go back we look at it and it was like right there on the corner and it was according to the k zone um how accurate it is i'm not 100 percent sure but like you know so we sit there and we look at that and we're like was that off and he goes no i don't think so okay well now we know that we can still go there without me having to adjust like how i'm looking gotcha. so it's a constant communication on just like how he his information that he has is making me better in the game and it's just making sure that like hey i'm feeling this pitch today i'm not locating this pitch well today or this feels like crap like we might have to do something else like it's just it's always making sure that you're talking to them and trying to let them know man i don't i've been fortunate enough to to talk to a, 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 a you know not a lot but a good amount of pitchers. I don't think I've ever heard that perspective about adjusting to the backstop. That's a really fascinating concept. I mean, is that so? Obviously, I mean that probably makes pitching at home a little bit better because you're familiar. You're like, all right, that's a that's a step. I maybe I need to recalibrate a little bit, but I understand what I'm dealing with here because it's familiar. So mm -hmm. is that something that you're just like focusing on when you're doing your warm up pitches or like, and man, man, now that I think about it too, with the schedule this year, you're probably pitching in more different stadiums than you've ever had to pitch before, right? There's less familiarity because last year you might not have pitched in, in, in Wrigley or whatever. Like it, it's, it's, it's different. So yeah. Talk a little bit more about adjusting to the backstop. Cause I've never heard that before. So, um, so each mound, whether or not they are all the same based on the regulation of what MLB is, they all feel different. So, um, you know, we'll use Tampa as an example. Tampa's feels very high and very like, I wouldn't say it feels steep, but it feels like it's like you throw down the hill more. And I think that that's a big reason as to why, like they, I think that they have, a pretty good mound and i personally like it it works well for my style of pitching sure but you so you go there and you it feels very steep but the backstop to me the it looks as if you're so like further down 
like you need to throw it further down in order to get it to the bottom part of the zone. You almost feel like you're going to spike it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, but like you go to somewhere like, uh, like Oakland, Oakland was super flat. It felt like I was throwing on the flat ground in the outfield. Like that's what it feels like. Then like you go to Fenway and Fenway, good mound and everything, but the backstop looks like it goes like that. Like it looks like it goes flat and then it kind of sinks in, sinks down at the very end by the wall. So then like you're now dealing with, and then they also have like the super flat, um, the super flat seat. So you see a lot more of the people and Toronto is very much the same way. And you, you see a lot more of the people. So now it's like your perspective of it and your eyesight is kind of adjusted to what you're seeing there. So now it's like, okay, I have to adjust to what I'm seeing here, what I'm seeing here and kind of like, how am I changing my depth on that? Because that's why Sundays or that's why maybe some people struggle at pitching at other stadiums than others because of like the eyesight and the perception of it. Sometimes it's really hard to land like a, like a breaking ball in certain places because like it just looks different sometimes because of the backdrop, the plate looks closer or it looks super far away. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's constantly changing in different places that you're going. That is, uh, yeah. And for those listening to when he's saying here and here, Tyler's referring to, I think, the strike zone and the backdrop behind him. That's, I mean, man, that also just makes cores even more terrifying because then you're probably adjusting to that as well as adjusting to any atmospheric differences. I don't think you've had to pitch in cores yet in your career, but that kind of mm-hmm. makes it sound all the more terrifying for sure. Um, a few more questions here, but man, I, I loved hearing that. Um something really struck me in the first conversation that we had about the influences that you had in your life, right? You you talked a good bit about that. The people who really meant a lot to you over the course of the game and who really informed you. And one of the examples you gave was about a gentleman who didn't even use a radar gun, right? It was like, we weren't even talking about the radar gun. What I want to know though, is in your experience, right? If, if there are, you know, any young kids listening to this right now, there's probably a lot of, and they're, and they're focusing on being a pitcher. There's probably a lot of different pieces of advice, just like when you were coming up, a lot of people who are trying to say, do this or do that or do the other thing. But now we also have the pressure of analytics and, you know, there are guys in, at LSU who are throwing 195 miles an hour on every pitch. And there's this, you know, pressure on velocity. What, what advice are you given to a, to a eight, 10, 12, 14 year old who is trying to learn the art of pitching? So, uh, the, the gentleman that you're referencing is Dave Coggin and, uh, he is actually the one that kind of turned me into this full mindset of like, uh, I was actually having this conversation the other day with John means, you know, because we're talking about how, uh, we were comparing like Tommy John, uh, rehabs and, uh, whatnot and kind of just like what our focus was. And one of the things that Dave once said to me was we spend a lot more time in the weight room trying to get better at throwing than we are actually trying to work on the art of throwing. Hmm. And so with that being said, you need to be strong in order to throw hard, but you also need to throw well in order to throw hard and stay healthy. You can throw hard. There are guys that go out there and they can throw hard in the wackiest ways that you can possibly, you know, imagine. 
But at the same time, too, they don't always stay healthy because there are big deficiencies that kind of maybe blow in the front side, a lot of shoulder pressure, you know, whatever. Because Dave, um, he actually he made it to the big leagues with the uh, with the Phillies, I believe. And I think his shoulder, I think he blew out. I think his shoulder, like you know, gave way. I think it was a rotator cuff or like a, a labrum or something. And so this is kind of what kickstarted his whole uh, his whole like like why on what he did and the place that uh the place that i ended up starting to train at in my sophomore year of college is called pfa mm -hmm. uh performance fitness for athletes and his primary focus is a lot of young kids and with that being said sorry i kind of went on a tangent there to kind of mm -hmm. give the background of understanding why but his why comes to whenever you're young learn how to throw properly first and kind of understanding sequencing of your body. Mm. And then as you continue to progress and get to higher levels, you're going to continue to get into the weight room and gain strength. And as you gain strength along with what you're training with throwing, you're starting to kind of put those two and two together. And then eventually like you are going to be healthier for it. You're going to feel better for it. Like, you know, and you're going to have a longer career. His thing is making starters. He wants to make long careers. And so, um, you know, he, and I think I talked a little bit about how he had his little product that it was called the pocket yep. path. Yep. And it was something that I used a lot. And especially whenever, um, right before I got uh rule five over to the Orioles, like, um, I was in there every day working on the art of throwing. Like I wasn't lifting a ton, but I was working on the art of throwing. And um, whenever I came back, it was the hardest I had ever thrown. Wow. And so, um, you know, I've always been, you know, I, I wouldn't say I've always been strong, but, you know, especially the last like five years, um, especially since like 2018, I've actually gotten really, really strong and I've always been really strong. And, but I just noticed that strength isn't the only thing sure. that makes you throw hard. Like even right now, like there's some things in my delivery that I feel like I need to sort out. And honestly, I'll probably end up sitting here contacting him soon because, you know, like he, he knows my delivery just about better than anyone else. Cause I've been working with him since a sophomore in college. Yeah. And so I went from being like 88 to 91, my sophomore year and then i went the next year um i went to 90 to 93 touching 94. wow okay and that's how i actually got drafted because my first outing of the year was against a guy up at sonoma uh sonoma state and you know they had some draft guys there looking at him and they had no idea who I was. And I went out there and I was, you know, I shoved and Love it. like that's, and that's how I got drafted. And, you know, it was specifically to the twins because the scouting director was there looking at that other guy hmm. and they were like, who the hell is this kid? And <laughs> here I am like, you know, and it's it, focusing on the art of throwing is so important, Yeah, but don't forget. It's like a, I would say it's like a 60, 40, 70, 30 mix of like folks on the art of throwing with the weight room. 
Okay. That's good. That's good advice. So yeah, it sounds like it's like, obviously what you just said, build from a foundation of you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, obviously we watch a lot of videos. I want to be that guy. I want to, I want to throw like this person. I want to throw like that person. I want to have this guy's slider, this guy's four seamer, but build from a foundation of you. And then the other thing, which was kind of tangential, which is also great advice, which is you never know who's watching. Right. Scouts mm-hmm. could be coming to see someone entirely. And that doesn't mean that you're taking the day off. It means you're trying to say, hey, guess what? You're actually coming to see me today and you didn't even realize it. Right. That's yeah. that's that's an important thing. Um, well, and one of the things that I forgot to mention, though, too, please, is that please. Dave, Dave talks to some of the top starters in all of Major League Baseball. Like he talks to, he's talked to Shane Bieber. He's talked to Lucas Giolito. Like um, while I was there, he was uh, in 20, 2020, like Spencer Turnbull came in mm-hmm. and this was like before he threw his no hitter and all that stuff. And, um, you know, Steven Wright, the knuckleballer for yep. a long time, yep. like he would yep. go in there, like um, you've, you, you get guys, like he was always saying, walk with lions, walk with those who are better than you. But, you know, he, dude, it's, it's one of those things where he just, you always, you always go to the people that are better than you Mm. to get better. And that's, and that's kind of like, he's been a big influence, like on that side of things. Love that. And now you're one of them. I, I, cause uh, when I check those, uh, check the leaderboards, I see your name atop the uh, whip leaders in all of baseball right now. Uh, so don't, don't sell yourself short on that. You're one of those lions now. Um, one more question before we get to kind of like a fun rapid fire round of some quick one-offs, you know, it, there's, it, there's, you're a smart man. You know that you're about to throw more pitches, uh, and more innings than you have over the course of your career. Right. Um, you're getting up to, I think it'll probably be about 90 in your next start. I think you're at 86 and two thirds right now. I think your career high is like one Oh six at the moment. Is there a shift in approach knowing that, hey, I want to go out there every five days and I want to shove, I want to give you six or seven of my best innings and give you the best chance to win, but it's 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 a marathon, right? How how do you approach that? Is there a change in mentality? Is there a change in warm-up? Is there a change in in you know, you talked about building strength? Is there any change there? Or are you not even thinking about it at all? And you know what? I'm gonna do what I always do and I'll, whatever happens, happens. Um, you know, so we, uh, you know, for me, I think the number one goal is to stay healthy. Um, you know, yeah, I'll, again, like I keep going back to this because yesterday against the Tampa Bay Rays, there were so many learning experiences I had during that game. And one of them was, one of them was something that I think took more of an effort than I think it has all season, which was I got into this huge pickle in the second inning. Mm -hmm. And two of those errors, obviously both of them on me, complete mental and physical mistakes. And I made my life so much harder during that game because I let the game speed up on me and I, I messed up. So now I'm in a situation where it's the second inning. I'm at, I think, close to 60 pitches at this point how the hell am I going to get to the fifth inning? Mm. And what you said was like, you know, how you were talking about, like, you know, give six or seven of the best quality innings I possibly can. Like that is absolutely. But even if I'm not at my best, even if I'm struggling, even if I'm not going out there and like, I could be, you know, just getting lit up. Like 
how am I going to make it through five innings at least? Because I'm not, I don't want my bullpen and I don't want to put that stress on our manager to sit there and have to blow the bullpen out because I'm not out there doing my job. And I take a lot, I take a lot of pride in being able to get a minimum of the, like of the five innings. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that, I, for me personally, um, you know, I had this discussion with, uh, with, uh, Hyder and, um, and Mike last year, they were like, you know, we all came to the conclusion. We were like, you know, we, we knew that I wanted to throw a lot of innings this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted, I, and you know, we were like the best way, the best way that, uh, we can do it is to just get in really good shape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they, they pushed me and they challenged me and, you know, I came to spring training 20 pounds lighter and I came in with a goal of, you know, doing exactly that. Like not because they, because I want to preface this too. They didn't tell me to do that because they didn't think I was incapable, mm-hmm. but they told me to do that because they thought that it was what was going to be best for me to, you know, pitch deeper into games, pitch deeper into the season and stay healthy. And so my number one thought process the entire year was to prove them right. Mm, Like I want to prove, I want to, I want to prove them right. I don't want to prove anyone wrong. And so, um, you know, I went out and I did that. And right now, like, even though, even though like, you know, I'm not blowing my 95s to 97s or 98s, like, you know, I would say that, everything that I'm doing is keeping me healthy. And I feel, you know, my body feels, you know, pretty good for where we're at in the season, but we're not halfway through yet either. Sure. Sure. Like we, we, we still got, you know, a whole nother half a season. So, um, you know, I think for me, I think that that's still important to make sure that even right now, like it's more important for me to be locked in on what I'm doing as far as my preparation goes, my diet goes and stuff like that. Like, um, I think it's more important than ever. And I'm the one I'm so susceptible because I'm a fat kid at heart (laughs) on eating a ton of food during season and, you know, not doing enough to make sure that I'm, I'm keeping my body healthy. It, you know, so I took, you know, I took the initiative and I got like some things to help me like meal prep a little bit more to kind of make sure that I'm on top of, uh, what I can control, like what I control, I put in my food, like, you know, making sure that I do everything that I possibly can to, uh, stay healthy, to give my body the necessary nutrients it needs to perform at the highest level possible. And, you know, I think that that's, I think that that's the biggest part is, Mm -hmm. you know, just being able to be conscious of that and take the initiative to actually do it, even if it is during season, whenever it's really, really difficult, especially when we're traveling. Hell, we were just in Chicago and I was like, Hey guys, you want to go get deep dish pizza? (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, yeah, of course. Like, you know, it's so simple. It's such an easy thing to do. Yeah. But it's like, all of a sudden you're like, Holy hell. I just ate five slices of deep dish pizza. I might as well just eat five slices of, as Kyle Gibson would call it, lasagna. <laughs> like, so it's like, you know, you just sit there and you just got to be able to uh, stay, like stay conscious about that thing. And like, you know, and I think that that's, you know, something that 
I'm really trying to hone in on and focus on and um, be disciplined in right now is making sure that I'm making better choices uh, for myself to also better the team and being able to go out there every fifth day and do exactly what I need to do in order to help us get to the playoffs and hopefully a World Series at some point. Amen. I already have my tattoo planned. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> that's not a joke. It's ready. Uh, it, it, you know, you'll be happy to hear. You, obviously, as you know, you have yet to uh, go fewer than five innings in any start this year. You're about top 30 in terms of innings pitched per start. You are right behind Kyle Gibson. So maybe one fewer piece of, uh, of lasagna and maybe you're right there. But in terms of you're almost at you're almost both at like six innings per start, which is fantastic to see. Um, let's have a little fun to wrap things up. Okay. We're going to focus on kind of rapid fire questions here. I think we all know that Ryan McKenna is probably the best golfer on the Baltimore Orioles, maybe in major league baseball, considering he's hitting par on PGA courses. Is that true? Is he the best golfer on the team? And if so, who is the best golfer amongst the pitchers? Um, he's not the best golfer on the team. I'll wow. Because Aaron Hicks is. Really? Aaron, dude, Aaron Hicks is like legit. He, uh, <laughs> so my little brother is quick, quick story. My little brother, um, used to work at a country club in a private country club in uh, Arizona called, uh, Silverleaf. Okay. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I think, uh, Hicks may be a member there. Um, or he was at least playing there one day. And my little brother, uh, knew him at the time cause he would see him out there, you know, often. And this dude hit a hole-in-one on a par four with a three-wood. Stop. Swear. Yeah. Are you serious? He, uh, dead serious. He, Dude, he's legit. But I also uh, – now, you can't quote me on this because I haven't – like, I haven't talked to him. I got, haven't gotten introduced to his, uh, to his family a whole lot. But I believe he's married to Tiger Woods' niece. Tiger Woods' niece. Okay. I believe, but I'm not sure. But and regardless of that case, I think that she was an LPGA uh, tour player as well. So like he's he's legit. Um, he's a great dude too. Like that's that's I think the best part about it is like McKenna's really good. Hicks is really good. Um, Cole Irvin's pretty good. I would say Cole Irvin. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I would say Cole Irvin was is probably the best of the pitchers wow brian brian baker's pretty good um you guys got a squad yeah we do we got some guys that like to golf i i don't think bake i don't think bake usually golfs during season uh because he's got a possibility of pitching every day yeah um and then uh another another player that i've heard is sneaky good but i've never seen him play because he doesn't play during season um is mount castle really yeah i've heard i've heard these sneaky good oh another sneaky one that i've also heard is good but he won't ever say it but i have not seen this um but i've only heard it is uh adley at adley you know enough he's had enough he doesn't need to be good at golf that's fine it's, (laughs) it's too much it's too much um and you were right. Cheyenne Woods, I believe, is the name of Aaron Hicks's wife, who was indeed, uh, uh, I, th- I believe, an, an LPGA uh, player, yeah. um, which is remarkable. So, and it's those situations where it's like, no, Cheyenne Woods. That's Cheyenne Woods' husband. That's not Aaron Hicks's wife. That's Cheyenne Woods' mm-hmm. husband. You know what I mean? Uh, no, they're, right, they're great people, though. Great people. Uh, 
they seem like it. He and he's been tearing the cover off the ball. It's been a pleasure to see, um, and uh, even better to know that he's a good human being. Love to hear that. Uh, top top bourbon you would recommend to people right now? Oh man, um, so I had one that we I found in San Francisco while we were playing the Giants. Um, I really I really like it quite a bit. Uh, it's called Frey Ranch. Hmm. Um, and it's farmed a bottle. They, they grow all their own grains. They distill it themselves. They bottle it themselves. Like everything about it is like from them, um, which I think is, which I think is awesome. I, I like yep. to, uh, support people like that. That one's really good, but I would say that my favorite, uh, company or, um, uh, spirit company is called barrel barrel craft spirits. Okay. They um so it's a little bit they source everything. So they go out and they're a master you they're what you call master blenders of like of uh source whiskey and they they go out there and they have different distilleries that they go to and they pick barrels and they blend them all together and they make some incredible whiskey okay. um that I really that I really enjoy cuz like I'm not much of a drinker. Like I don't go out, I don't drink. Like I'll every once in a while at home, like I'll have I'll have a glass of bourbon because especially like during the season, I don't yeah, I don't sure. try to drink at all because of recovery purposes. But the um, but like the ones that I've enjoyed are Barrel Craft Spirits. They have so they have two that are so they have three actually that are on like their full. Well, okay, four. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep jumping up here in numbers. So I'm not careful, but I've, I've never had, so it's called barrel seagrass. That's like a rye bourbon or a rye whiskey that, uh, that people really, really seem to enjoy. They have another one called dovetail, which is, I think, uh, bourbon, bourbon aged in like wine barrels, like port barrels, um, that add a little bit of an extra sweetness to it that people seem to really like. Um, but then there's one that's really interesting, and this might be for someone who likes Irish whiskey that uh, likes scotch or anything like that. It's called the Barrel Infinite Barrel Project. And what okay. they do is that they take a barrel of whiskey. It's kind of like a, what you would consider an infinity bottle. And they blend all these different whiskeys from different countries. It could be bourbon. It could be Irish whiskey. It could be scotch. And mm. um, what they'll do is that they'll take that they'll they'll leave some in like their uh like in the barrel or like barrels mm -hmm. or whatever and then they'll add more whiskey to it so it's a constant evolution huh, that's cool of different whiskeys and whatnot and it's it was it's really really good as well uh but i think my personal favorite that they make that isn't like special batches is called barrel armida and armida. it is so good it's like a constant evolution of flavors um and it's like it's got it's like a little bit more of a fruit forward type of uh type of um whiskey uh i think it's i don't i can't say but i think it's all like bourbon aged in different um different types of uh barrels um like you know rum barrels and all gotcha. that jazz but it's uh it's exceptional, but they are kind of pricey. They're usually between that seventy to ninety dollar mark, but okay. they are incredible bourbons. All right, or nice. whiskeys. 
You'll have to do a, a if you make the playoffs or win a World Series, you have to do a fan giveaway. You just pick a few bourbons, barrels, you send them on out to people. Uh, when you know, when, when a barrel with Tyler Wells, that's what we'll call it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm legally allowed to do that. <laughs> that's a, well, I need my that's alcohol right. license. Who, who needs that? Who cares about legality? We don't <laughs> care about that. The last one, then we'll we'll, ki- we'll stick with the B theme here. Best way to prepare a, a steak. Best way to prepare a steak. Mm. This reminds me, I got to send this to James McCann. He's asking for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's this guy that I, I, so there was a couple of different, um, couple of different people that I would look on uh, YouTube uh, for like how to prepare steak, barbecue, smoked meats, everything like that. One of them is Meat Church. He's primarily the one that I use for like smoking barbecue, like, He's got a lot of different really cool stuff on pellet on pellet grills, on offset smokers, on pretty much anything that you can that you can do. And uh, Cole Irvin actually knows him, and I've been in contact with him. Great, oh, wow. great dude. That's awesome. has his own barbecue supply. He's he's awesome, and his seasonings are great. I use them all the time on like uh, air fryer chicken thighs and stuff like that. It's incredible. Um, I'm going on a tangent here. Um, then. <laughs> So anyway, the way I found this one through a guy named Guga Foods. Um, and so he's big on like Wagyu and all that sure. stuff. And uh, so anyway, he does this process called dry brining. Uh, basically, what you'll do is that you'll take a uh, at least like an inch and a half cut steak mm-hmm. or at least an inch up to like an inch and a half uh, is usually I think like where he likes it. But and that's where I like it too. I like a nice thick steak. And so what he'll do is that he'll take it, put it on a wire rack, and he will salt all sides. Um, and then what he'll do is that he'll flip it, salt the other side, put it on a wire rack, put it like a paper towel or like a little thing under it so that way you can catch liquid. And he'll put it in the fridge uncovered for hmm. 24 hours. Usually I would say 24 hours max. Um, and so... What that does is that that draws out a lot of the moisture in the meat. And so what happens to the salt that's on the surface is that it actually dissolves into the liquid that's being uh, soaked out of the meat from the salt. So it kind of creates this briny solution. So over the course of time, that solution kind of goes back into the steak. And what that salty brininess does is that it seasons the steak throughout. So then, and, and that's like primarily with the meat side of it. It doesn't do it on the fat cap. So like if you have like a New York strip or something and you've got a lot of fat on there, you will not get that same effect on the fat, but it still seasons the fat whenever you grill it. So it tastes incredible. <laughs> so you get that soaks throughout the meat. Um, so you'll take it out of the fridge and typically by then like the outer surface will be a little bit dry because it's been uncovered and you have cold air circulating it and whatnot but a lot of that meat um, has absorbed uh, some of that salty brine so the you get the saltiness throughout the throughout the meat you take it off you take it you season it with a good amount of black pepper and garlic powder on all sides no need to salt it anymore because you've already done that then I'll take it out onto uh, I'll take it out onto like a pellet grill. I like the so I I use a camp chef at home, but I will say that I like the searing function of the pit bosses better because it opens up directly to the firebox. So you get this thing, you turn it on high, it 
is freaking throwing fire <laughs> and you get that thing hot you toss the steak on there and you probably leave it on there for about a minute each side and what that'll do is that that'll char it up really really well okay and then um and it really just depends on the amount of char you like i like a little bit more char tastes great and so you do that you take it off to the side and you leave every you don't you kind of turn the temperature down a little bit and let the air circulate. And what that'll do is that it'll slowly cook everything till you get into an internal temperature of about 130 degrees for me okay. is where I like it. I tend to like a medium rare. Yeah. Um, and so what that'll do is like, you just kind of get an even cook throughout it because you have hot air circulating. It's similar to like a sous vide method, but you get the char of the, um, of the fire. But some people, some people love like sous vide where they'll take it, they'll sous vide it, and then um, they'll like do a gun or like they'll sous vide it to a certain temperature and then throw it on the steak like that. Some people think that that's super flavorful, but I prefer like a nice like fire char. Tyler, listen, it's 15 years. You, you got your World Series, your Cy Youngs. You, you revamped your career as a knuckleballer in your late 40s. You're, you're ready to hang it up. It's time to open up a steak joint, my friend. That's, well, it's, that's it's next funny. level, dude. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because, um, you know, I actually have a picture of uh, some of these uh, barrel things I'll have to send you. Uh, yeah, I just please. saw it. But um, of the uh, whiskey that we were talking about. But I also got a – there's a picture I have in here. So this is what I made during the offseason. Oh, my God. I'm glad That's there is no video because it's not suitable for work. This is a gorgeous looking steak. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Oh, so this is this is a so it's called a it's called a double smoked ham. So it's like a ham that you buy at the store. Okay. And then you take you take it out of everything, you pat it dry, you uh, season it up again in between the different layers. <laughs> And then you go on, you put it on a smoker, whether that's a vertical smoker that you have, a pellet smoker, or like even an offset smoker. You um, then like you let it go for a little bit up until it gets to about an internal temperature of 140. Yeah. And then you, I made a maple bourbon glaze that I threw on top of it. And then you let that kind of like kind of caramelize on top oh. of it. And that one was really good. And then I gotta find, um, I gotta find the other one of My mouth is so, literally watering. So I, that's a brisket. And so then that was the that was the outcome here. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, so, so I open it. What are you doing? Go open this restaurant that you're gonna open with the hams and the briskets. And it's unbelievable. Well, the thing with so I've contemplated this I've cause I've heard from a lot of people that it's actually really difficult to do barbecue joints because everything takes so long to make sure. yeah, and yeah. to get and to get the best flavors possible. Usually you'll, you'll have a uh, offset smoker. Well, offset smokers are constant fires. So in order for you to actually like, make the best barbecue that you can you need to constantly be monitoring this fire and gotcha. this is like i mean you're talking some like a brisket you're talking like 12 to 14 hours 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's like, it, it does, it does become difficult and very time consuming, but at the same time too, it's like, if I was to do it as like a weekend gig or something like that, like if I just had a, uh, like if I just bought one of these, uh, trailer offsets and mm -hmm. I just sold it like, um, on the side, like I would definitely like consider it, but it's, it's something I really enjoy. It's, it's a lot of fun. I don't know if you guys have this little wrap on this. I don't know if you guys have a trip to Detroit coming up soon, but there is a place I think called the Schwitz, which is a steak and Schwitz place where you sit and you eat a steak and then you go and you have what us Jews call a Schwitz, which is you sit in a sauna, you let all of that go out and then you go back down and you have another meal. So that sounds like it might supposed be because you say it like that. And it's like you say you let it all out. Does it give you the for what? <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. I hope not. <laughs> Might be a great way to start uh, to go into a baseball game. Just cleanse. We, unfortunately, totally we've cleanse. already gone to Detroit this year, but uh, <laughs> I'll, you'll have to send it to me so that way I can uh, I can look at it for next year. But right. yeah, I dude, I'm telling you, that's like I love steak. I love meat. Like that's like my primary thing. But my fiance, uh, she's she's a really good cook as well. She makes uh, I think she's actually making it this Sunday for our uh, baseball chaplain and some of our friends. Um, but it's called Marry Me Chicken, and it's okay. it is incredible. It's dude. I mean, she she makes a lot of really really good stuff. Uh, so she she mans the kitchen. I just man the outside grills and stuff. So it's perfect balance. Perfect Good now. partnership. Tyler, we spoke for an hour, which is unbelievable because it felt like a minute. Uh, you bestowed a lot of fantastic knowledge upon us about life, about you know how you approach baseball, about the mechanics of baseball, about advice for young pitchers. Um, you've been having a hell of a season so far, and we wish you nothing but the best as we turn the corner and head into the second half. Can't thank you enough for, for taking so much time out of your, out of your off day uh to to do this with us so thanks for coming man i appreciate it yeah man absolutely thanks for having me